Welcome to another episode of Through the Lens of Christ. This is a podcast that Steve Douster and I uh, put together with Ashley Vorwerk's Production Magic. Um, and so I'm here with Steve Douster. How are you doing, Steve? I'm fine, Adam. How are you? Good. 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 Um, and we are uh, going to talk about, um, during this episode, the uh, an article from David French, um, and just really not so much dig through the article, but the the heading is is um, very interesting, and I think some of the main themes are very interesting. And we want to talk about that a little bit. So the the uh, article title is "Why Do They Hate Us?" Um, and I think that's provocative in and of itself. And the the major point of the article is that we're doing some damage as Christians, and there's. There's a world that needs us, and there are good things that we that we're trying to accomplish, kind of at the core. But we've muddied the waters a little bit with things like nationalism and um, Christian culture versus American culture, and how much do those two things really tie? And how much are we anchoring on American culture to define Christian culture? Um, that's can be very difficult and problematic, and we need to do a better job of separating those things. Um, and I, he also tries to dig through some points about how we're the other. Um, when, when you talk theologically about the other, you're talking about the non-predominant thought. And so as Christians or evangelical Christianity Christianity becomes the other, um, the idea is that we look at it and say, well, it's good that the world doesn't like us because we're doing something right. Because we shouldn't be like, look, scripturally it says that we should be hated. That That is a, a sign that we're doing the right thing. But his point is, is that maybe we're not. Maybe, maybe the world hates us because of the way we're coming across. And maybe we actually need to do a better job of understanding how to speak to the world so that we can be more productive for Christ. And so I'd like to talk about those kind of two ideas and anything else I missed in that. Is there anything else that stuck out, Steve? No, it's been a, like, it's been a week since I've read that article, so I'm not super familiar with it. Again, I think we just kind of brought it up as a topic. You know, why are we disliked as Christians, as, as believers, and should we be, and, and how's that working out? So from the Christian perspective is, you know, I'm thinking as you were speaking, how do I live in this world but not be of this world? That, that's kind of the crux of it there. How do, how do I participate in this world as a believer and glorify God with my thoughts and with my life and with my body and with my actions, but yet not participate in this world in such a degree that I've aligned with this world? And so I'm, I'm here to be a, a steward. I'm here to be an ambassador of Christ, and I'm to show Christ off his glory, in the Holy Spirit, God working through us, and how do I do that most effectively? And kind of to, I think the point you were trying to make is we've muddied that water where we, where people look at us and they don't necessarily see Christ and, and hate us if they need to hate us as a believer, but they hate us because of the way we approach the culture and because we're dragging things in that, you know, really look a lot like radical Americanism in some ways. And that's really a challenge for the church. Yeah, and, and we should, uh, the, the clarification I think is important, is that the idea that, that we're told scripturally that when we are emulating Christ and when we're living a life for Christ, that the world will reject that. Correct. That the True. natural tendency is that they don't like, th that the world is opposed to Christ naturally. So therefore, when we're most emulating Christ, we will be hated. That is true. 
The problem is, to your point, is that we're often not hated because we're emulating Christ. We're hated because we're, we're bringing, uh, whether it's nationalism or Americanism, or we're, we're bringing a lot of other thoughts, and we're bringing a lot of our own condemnation towards other people, which is not necessarily the Christ-like image that we're to be bringing. So the, the idea is that, again, why do they hate us? Is it because we're becoming more hateable? Or is it because the gospel is being rejected? Right. So a couple things, I'm still setting this up in my head. So a couple things I think about is, you know, hypocrisy is one thing. I think they hate us because they feel like we're hypocrites. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. But then also when we think about the world hating us, I think the world will hate us. But that doesn't mean that everyone in the world will hate us. So when we think about evangelism, yes, we're living in a world that's... um, well, quasi-controlled, because I believe in God's ultimate sovereignty over all things. But Satan's in this world. This is his his time at this particular moment. And so that world will hate us. But individuals still can come to know Christ and love him. And so that's that's a thing that I don't want to let that go. Yes, yes. And so when we when we talk about this aspect of, of why do they hate us, when we look at um, how we're coming out, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but with the with the uh, constant rise of of the social gospel and the constant rise of um, we need to accept others as they are and we need to love each other well, and as we move further and further from that, right? As we try to say what what is a appropriate identity, our identity should be in Christ and that is what we should most love. And all these other pieces are things that probably need to be reconciled in us and brought back to a peace with God rather than, than absorbed and consumed. We need to do that and we need to reflect that. But the message that's often coming from the evangelical side often seems to be really focused on the love of country and mm-hmm. um, love of the the things we were founded on, going back to religious liberty and not that those, not that religious liberty is bad and not that it's wrong to love our country, um, but the idea that what stands most boldly in our speech and in our behavior is it Christ or is it these other messages? Well, I think that's true because I think in all those things that you just mentioned, freedom and liberty and and love of country and all that, there's good in there. Mm-hmm. But like everything that's not, well, that's not ready and fit for heaven right now, there's also evil in there too. So it's not like it's 100% one way or the other. And so we can always find good, almost always find good and bad in almost everything in this world. It, it's, it's all God's world. He's designed it, created it for a purpose. Um, and so, so there is a good usage for everything, but it's all, been, it's all been corrupted. So I think of that. And then I also think of when we're thinking about the way we respond in in, in trying to defend those things or support those things, sometimes we don't seem to respond in love, or it doesn't look like love. I think maybe love is the intent, maybe, if it's, if it's thought of, but sometimes it's not even thought of. So I think all across the, the spectrum, if I think of the Christian understanding of the world and I think of a secular understanding of the world, there are elements of both that operate out of anger and, and frustration and threats and fear, and there's elements of both that operate out of their own kind of love. So, so in the Christian kind of love, it's the love of Christ. It's it's an it's a it's a love of God, His the the glory that's seen in this world. It's a love of neighbor that wants to lead them to salvation in Jesus Christ. And from the secular side, it's some sort of a secular kindness or or secular um, way of understanding 
being good to one another in a non-Christian way, which we wouldn't define as love. But it's still a softer side of the secular. So there's a hard side of both, and there's a soft side of both, I think. And there's only one true way, which is the biblical way. Right, right. And then so how do, how do we bring that out? Because I don't, there's part of me, that the hard side of me that you were talking about, like I don't mind if people reject me because I'm emulating Christ. Right, for sure. If, I, I, if I'm doing it accurately, if right? I'm doing it in love, in, in, a, in a spirit walking with Christ. Yes. And now my, my assumption, again, this is a personal thing, my assumption when people respond negatively to me because of the gospel message in some way, my assumption is that I'm doing it wrong because I'm first a fallen person. And so I look at it and don't, I don't have this. And I used to, when I was younger, I used to kind of immediately, and I was, that was kind of how I was raised is this, you should be offending people through the gospel and you should yeah. be right. And I, as I've gotten older and, and, and hopefully matured in my faith, I've realized that often it's me creating the problem and it's not the gospel creating the problem. Right. And I think we, we get stuck on, I don't mind if people don't like me because the Bible says they won't, they won't like me. And so that's where we stop kind of the self-analysis. And I really think we've got to go to the next level and say, what did I just say? How would it be received? Was it truly the gospel message I want to deliver? Or was it really tinged with a whole lot of me? And therefore, I created a barrier. And I, I really believe that as, as Christians right now, the predominant perspective is that if I'm going to throw this message out there and if somebody doesn't like it, it's on them. The Bible said they weren't going to like it. They didn't like Jesus. So be it. The assumption there is that we're pretty much perfectly like Jesus. We're just not. That, I think that's that's true. So there's there's also that that's a I think it's a valid assumption, or it's it's not even being thought of. It's just a, it's just in the in the mix. But that's also a remnant of a Christian culture that was Christianity was dominant. Christianity is not dominant anymore. So, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, you could do those kind of things and get away with it, if you will, in the culture, and won't be ostracized or or sent to the margins. Not anymore. There's a phrase that, um, it's just a little phrase, it's super simple, that probably 30 years ago or so um, I picked up on or someone told me, and, and here's the phrase, we have to earn the right to be heard. So, so we have to earn, and that people are people. They're made in God's image. They, they are their own person, and we have to earn the right to be heard. So, so to just beat somebody over the head with facts is, is not what—that's not presenting the gospel. Beating someone over the facts is not presenting the gospel. It's loving other people, and loving other people means figuring out who they are, where they are, and what the best way is for them to receive truth. So, so it's getting to know them. It's having conversations with them. It's asking them questions. What's troubling them? What are they going through in their life so that we can, again, earn the right to, to be heard, so we can speak into each other's life? We can learn things from non-Christians that will help us in our Christian walk. This is God's world, as I think I might have said, after all. So so we can do those things, and that's what we should be doing. I I find that the challenge is loving others. That's seems to be a core challenge, and that flows from knowing who we are in Christ, if we are even in Christ at all, because that's love is a fruit, and love is a gift, and it comes from a changed heart that's yep. in Christ. Y- yeah, and I think that, that Kit's on a great point, right? The idea of 
again, reflecting on what we're saying and how we're saying it, and is it the most loving thing to do? Right. Because if it is, in effect, pushing people away, we know that people will, many people will be repelled by the gospel. We see they that will. clearly in Scripture, and it's not our job to suck people in, right? But it's also not my job to repel people. Right. It's the gospel. The gospel will repel or attract, not me. And so I've got to figure out how to be the most loving uh, um, bringer of truth that I can possibly be and not to not to be the repeller, but to actually be the one who tries to do everything that I can to in love bring this. Do I really believe that this is an amazing truth? Do I really believe that this is an amazing gift? Do I really believe that if anybody else got a hold of this truth, that it would be the most wonderful thing that they've ever experienced in their life? If I believe that, that should drive how I speak to people. Well, on the flip side of that, too, is do I believe that I'm the one that's going to convince them of, of anything or I'm going to get a decision out of them? So if I flip it around the other way, who do I, who do I think I am? Yeah. Am, am, I the, am I the one that God has sent for them to, to flip them and convince them to make a decision for Christ? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, depends on <laughs> depends on how you think about who God is and really the theology behind it, because the way I understand Scripture is God is the one who saves, not me. So his, his spirit is going to be the one that awakens someone's heart, takes the heart of stone out, puts in a heart of flesh, and changes that person's desires. And, and he may do that through me and maybe a little part of me, but it might not be me that gets the credit, and it might not be me that goes in there and changes their mind. But I can, in love, make an impact on them um, diffused as it is through my sinful nature. Um, you know, how do I look at myself? Do I look at myself as the sole winner, or do I look at myself yeah. as being used by God that God might win souls? Yeah. Um, God is God is the sole winner, and He has all kinds of ways of doing it. My job is to be faithful. My job is to to understand who Jesus is and to emulate Him in this world as best as I can in a non God like state, um, and love other people. How does that work? Yeah, I mean we're we're seed planters and waterers, yes. right? And so if we're if we're out there in the the field and I'm planting a seed and then I I can lovingly put that seed in the soil and then I can also stand there and pat the seed and water the seed and tell the seed to grow and yell at it because it hasn't grown enough. And right. And I can, and I'm not really doing my job at that point. I've put a very, and and I've shared this before, but that was me with my wife when we first started dating. And like, I was not a seed planter. I was a, a, you know, uh, you know, this seed must grow now. Like there must be growth now. I don't, I just planted a seed. Why is there not, why is there not fruit? Why is there? And that is such an arrogant perspective. And to, to your point, it's us taking on the qualities of God and saying that I, God put me in your life to save you. That's not true, right? right? God put me in your life to plant a seed or to water or to in some way work the soil, but I'm not here to save anybody. And I think we, we do have to get to that place where we, we acknowledge what our role is and don't overplay our hand. Yeah. So somehow I, I feel like I need to bring this back around somehow to the culture and what's going on. So so when we look at other people, so we look at individual interactions, how we interact with others, or we can also look at how the Christian church interacts as well and what it what it's looking like. And it, and it doesn't look like a very pretty situation in either case a lot of the times. Love, love needs to be exhibited both in the individual level 
and on the church level. It needs to be done intergenerationally, racially, um, culturally, socially, politics. It doesn't make any difference. What I, what, I, what I think I see is a lot of people getting very upset about things they shouldn't get upset about. And that's, that's really challenging when we should be looking out, outward in love. I can even think of, I, I don't know, generationally comes to mind. So I think of generationally, um, you know, older adults, I'm going to say, tend to be more nationalistic, um, you know, politically Republican or on the right somehow, often conservative in that way. Younger adults, I'll say 20-something adults, um, tend to be more progressive, less nationalistic, and, and they're, they're, looking for, they're looking for leadership. And, and what, what we need to have happen is other people to understand other people, both individually and in groups, in love. So, so when, we're, when we're generationally broken apart, when we're racial, racially broken apart, Good chance, are, good chance that we're not looking out at the others in love and understanding their situation. And so what we're actually probably doing is more like you were describing before, kind of pounding on things, yelling, why won't you grow? Why don't you understand? When we're not trying to understand other people, then we would, we, then we would again, earn the right to be heard, have respect for one another, be able to show in different phases of our lives, the way God has set us up to glorify him in our 20s, in our 30s, in our 40s, in our 80s, whatever it might be, we, we are to paint a picture of God's kingdom intergenerationally. And we're not doing that oftentimes as a church, and oftentimes we're not doing that as individuals. We're yelling past one another rather than trying to understand really, really lovingly understand others, which causes me to be concerned about do we know him? Do we know Christ at all? Are we not capable of this? Um, or are we just selfish at a period of time and, and maybe we'll be loving in a different way later? I'm, it's just concerning for me. It concerns me for myself, but yeah. also for others. Right. And I, I think we have to, um, you talked about it a little bit, but it, the idea that the, the message is good. And we have to stay anchored on the, the message, the truth, the gospel. Right? We have to stay anchored cannot on the message. leave that. We can't leave that. But the method is 100% flexible. And sometimes we get in, in, in complete tangent, but it, you know, we've moved into these kind of mega church movement where um, we've traded message and method around too much, right? But so it's good that we make sure that we are delivering a message that is both attractive and a repellent at the same time. And that's the gospel's mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. But the method in which we do it, to your point, like how do we continually step back, make sure that there is a world that's hurting and that is desperately seeking love? And that, that term love being just um, whether the true biblical definition of love or not, but they're seeking this idea of love and compassion and mercy. We have what that looks like, and that is we have that in Christ. We have it from God himself. So how do we give that to people in, in an appropriate way? And so the method becomes vitally important right now because right now we are diminishing our message because we're refusing to change the method. And I think that goes back to what the article was saying is that our, our the why do they hate us? Because we're so confident in our methods and we have lost a focus on the message and we need to flip that back. Which comes back. Brings me back to I feel like we're just self righteous. Yeah, we're just self righteous, and and we're, and we're not we're not understanding. So so now we're self righteous, and so therefore the method is wrong. 
but the self-righteousness goes to the truth of the gospel that we're not getting. Either we've never gotten it or we've lost it, and we need the gospel. The, the message of the gospel is not self-righteousness. It's right. Christ's righteousness yeah. in me that I have to have because I'm a sinner. So that, that I actually need to understand who I am in relation to God at some point, and I need to repent of my sins, and I need to continually repent of my sins so that I'm not self-righteous, so that I have the ability to empty that garbage out of myself and be filled with Christ and his righteousness and that being able to be shown to the world. He died for that, and he empowers that. And if that's not happening, we've got, we've got real issues. We've got salvation issues, and we've got following Jesus issues, and that's, we're in a bad place. Yeah, if, if I can't humbly change my method so that someone may understand who Christ is, how can I ever say that I can humbly stand before the foot of the cross and put myself second? That's a really good point. Right? And so I think the, the this is an extremely critical conversation to that we should be engaged in as believers, trying to make sure that we're constantly being self-critical of how we're delivering the message. But just from a greater evangelical perspective, because as we shared before, we do live in a post-Christian culture, and we need to continue to ferret out Am I firm on the message? Am I comfortable changing the method? Because we love people and we love Christ and we love the truth of the gospel. For sure. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Adam.